a beautiful morning here in Nashville. We got an inch of snow last night and it completely shut down the city, which is completely understandable because it hardly ever snows in Nashville. So there's no snow trucks to deal with it. There's really no need for it most of the time. So an inch of snow can shut down a city. Now I'm a Midwesterner. I grew up in the Midwest and we would get eight inches of snow and a whole fleet of trucks would come out because it snows all the time in the winter in the Midwest. And these, this fleet of trucks would remove all the snow and we'd all go to school the next day and the city would carry on. So everything has its place. As the coffee was kicking in, I kept thinking about that. And it seemed like a really good metaphor for a lot of things in life. But for some reason, it just stuck in my brain and I find it somewhat inspiring to realize that just one inch of snow can shut down a city. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville on a beautiful snowy morning. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. I'm going to fly solo on this episode, and I'm going to talk about Strange Fruit, the classic, classic song that was made popular by Billie Holiday. And I feel like I should say up front, if you have children within earshot of this, this might not be appropriate for them. At least parts of this might not be appropriate. And if you're the sort of person who gets easily bent out of shape about things, parts of this may not be appropriate for you either. So you might want to skip this one. But for the rest of you, I'm going to throw in a few personal stories. And I hope you don't mind, but I think they apply. And I think they'll add to the overall story. So I don't want to waste any time. and I'm going to jump right into it. Here's the story of Strange Fruit. On August 7, 1930, in Marion, Indiana, three African-American teenagers were charged with the murder of a white man and the rape of a white woman. These three teenagers were named Thomas Shipp, Abraham Smith, and James Cameron. While they were being held in the jail, a huge lynch mob showed up of 12 to 15,000 people. They broke into the jail, took the three teenagers out, beat them horribly, and drug them down to the Grant County Courthouse, and they hanged them, all three of them, from a tree out in front. Eyewitness accounts said one of the teenagers was struggling trying to get the rope off of his neck while he was hanging there. So the the mob broke his arms so he wouldn't be able to reach the rope. Just a horrible, horrible scene. James Cameron was the youngest of the three teenagers. He was just 16 years old. And a woman came up out of the crowd and said that he was innocent, a white woman. No one knows who this woman is to this day. But she managed to talk them into taking him down from the rope 
They took James Cameron back to the jail where he sat safely, and he went on to have a, a pretty amazing life, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But it's important to think about the people who were in this lynch mob. There were twelve to 15,000 people. The police were actively involved and taking part in the, in the lynching. There were women and children. These were the upstanding members of the community. These are the people that you would see at church on Sunday. These were the, the God-fearing people. That's probably what they would refer to themselves as. And they were all taking part in this horrible lynching. There was a photographer named Baitler, Lawrence Henry Baitler, and he owned a studio there in Marion, Indiana. And he's the guy you would go to to have your pictures taken of your family. We'd go sit in his studio. He made a photograph of Thomas Shipp and Abraham Smith hanging from the tree in front of the courthouse there in Marion with a white mob all around them of women and children and men. They're all smiling and happy about what they've done. No shame at all in any of their faces. Just a horrible, horrible image. Baitler saw opportunity and he printed up thousands of copies over the next 10 days, and he sold thousands of copies of this photo to the people in the town. They were so proud of what they'd done, they wanted to have a postcard to commemorate it. Bob Dylan later wrote in the first line in Desolation Row, they're selling postcards of the hanging. Supposedly, this photo is the photograph that Bob Dylan is referring to in that song. A few years later, one of these photographs made its way to New York. And there's a man by the name of Abel Mirapol, and he was a school teacher in New York and also a poet. He saw this photograph of this lynching in Marion, Indiana. He said that he was haunted for days just with the image and was so disturbed by it, he decided he would write a poem about it. And he called the poem Bitter Fruit. In 1937, he got it published for the first time in a magazine called The New Teacher, and he published it under the pseudonym of Lewis Allen. And since I have such a hard time pronouncing Mirapol, I'm going to try to refer to him as Lewis Allen from this point on. But he wrote this poem, and at some point, he decided that Bitter Fruit wasn't the best title. He wanted to change the title to Strange Fruit. He tried to find a few people who would set it to music, and he had a little bit of a hard time, so he decided to set it to music himself. So the poem, Bitter Fruit, became the poem, Strange Fruit, and then was set to music and became the song, Strange Fruit. The song started getting a lot more popular and known amongst progressives in New York City, and it would be sang at a lot of different gatherings. And it was once sang at Madison Square Garden by an African-American singer named Laura Duncan. At night at Madison Square Garden, there was a man in the audience by the name of Robert Gordon, and he worked at a place called Cafe Society. And Cafe Society was a basement lounge, uh, held about 200 people. Their motto was, it's the wrong place for the right people, which I like that. Cafe Society was New York's very first integrated nightclub, and they had a singer there named Billie Holiday. She was just 23 years old, and she just made quite a name for herself singing in Count Basie's band in Harlem. 
and he thought this song would be great for her. Billie Holiday was afraid to sing the song at first. She was worried about retaliation or how the audience might take it. But she first sang it at Cafe Society in 1939. It completely silenced the crowd. At the end of the song, no one clapped. And she later said that she was really worried. But after a little bit of silence, one person started applauding. And it slowly built. And it ended up being this huge crescendo of applause. So she added it to her set each night. They decided that it wasn't really the sort of song that you could follow with something else. So they would close the sets with it. And they would stop serving drinks while she was singing that song. And they would bring one spotlight onto her face while she sang it. And I can only imagine what it would be like to be in Cafe Society in 1939 and hear Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit. Billie Holiday approached her record label, Columbia, wanting to record Strange Fruit. And they were worried about it. They didn't want to record it because they were worried about what retailers in the South would think. And they thought it might be hard to get it in record stores. And John Hammond, who was her producer, who is a huge name in the, in the music business. This is the man that brought us Bob Dylan, Springsteen, you know, Count Basie, Aretha Franklin, so many people. He refused to record it. But finally, Columbia Records agreed to give her a one-song release from her recording contract. This allowed Billie Holiday to record Strange Fruit on a little small independent label, much smaller than Columbia Records, called Vocalion. And in 1939, it sold over a million copies. And over the course of time, it ended up becoming Billie Holiday's biggest selling record of all time. But when you look at this song, next to the other songs that were popular in 1939, it really stands out. The top five songs of the year were Over the Rainbow with Judy Garland, Moonlight Serenade, Glenn Miller, God Bless America by Kate Smith, When the Saints Go Marching In, Louis Armstrong, and Strange Fruit, Billie Holiday. It's quite a contrast from the other songs that were on the charts at the time. Over the course of time, there were so many people that recorded this song. People like Nina Simone, Diana Ross, Lou Rawls, The Gun Club, Susie and the Banshees. Just so many people who did versions of this that it became a, a very important part of the American songbook. It's so important that in 1999, Time Magazine named Strange Fruit as the most important song of the century. I said earlier that I was going to share a few personal stories, and I'm kind of hesitant to put some of this out there, but in the interest of honesty with you guys, I feel like I should share a couple things. Now, I'm from Indiana, and I love Indiana, and I've known so many open-minded, wonderful people over the years, and it seems like they're the majority. But sadly, there's a lot of people who are much louder and... These people somehow drown out the majority of decent people. One memory I have is being a kid, and we would go fishing at what we call a pay lake, and it's where poor people go and pay money, and they sit around and fish for catfish and carp, and we enjoyed doing that. 
And I would go with my dad to this one particular pay leg just outside of Indianapolis. And in the 1970s and early 80s, I repeatedly saw the people at the lake not allow black people to come in. And they said that black people are not allowed to fish at this lake. I didn't understand it as a kid. It all seemed pretty confusing to me. But sometime in the mid-80s, this ended up becoming a big news story in the city, and it got turned around. But these ideas were still alive in the 80s, is, I guess, my point. I once played a gig in Marion, Indiana, down by the courthouse. And this place that I played had a stage with a big window across the, the back of it. And if you looked out that window across the street is the tree in the courthouse where this hanging took place, where this lynching took place. So I'm, sit, I'm standing there trying to entertain people and have a good old time, and all I could think of is the horrible thing that happened years earlier. And I couldn't help but wonder if any of these nice people who took time out to come and enjoy a show with me, if any of their family members were involved in the lynching. You know, it doesn't get a lot more real than that. I said that I was going to come back to to James Cameron, the 16-year-old who just narrowly escaped the lynching. He grew up to become a civil rights activist in Indiana, actually all through the, the Midwest. He marched with Martin Luther King. He was the person who founded America's Black Holocaust Museum for African American History in Wisconsin. And I had the pleasure of getting to meet him once, I went to see The Last Poets at the patio in Indianapolis, Indiana, probably in the 1990s, and James Cameron was there, and I, I got to shake his hand, and he still had scars on his neck from where the rope was around him when he was hanging from that tree in front of that Marion courthouse. I don't mean to turn this into a political discussion, so I apologize to my conservative friends. I want you to guys to not think of this as a political thing, but I thought of things like this, and I thought of the incident in Marion, Indiana that we talked about, and so many other incidents that I know of and have witnessed in my lifetime. I thought about that on the night of the election when Obama was winning Indiana, and I was sitting up all night here in East Nashville in my house, and I was texting to my friends who were shocked that Indiana was actually voting for a black man. And I don't mean this in a political way. If it was Alan Keyes, I would have been just as moved. You know, Alan Keyes is a very conservative man, for those of you overseas that don't know. But I'm looking at the different breakdowns of what counties are being won by Obama and I was sitting up all night watching the returns. I noticed the county where that pay lake, where they wouldn't let black people fish. Obama won that county. They actually elected a black man in that county. And then when I was looking at Marion, Indiana, and I was looking at the returns in that county, Obama actually won that county. So in the same county that had this horrible lynching, where there are so many people who witnessed it who are still alive to this day, the people of that county, through the power of the ballot box, said that they wanted a black man to be president of the United States. I guess if there's any kind of a message in any of this, 
It's that I believe we have quite a ways to go, but I'm encouraged of our ability to get where we need to be when I see the great distances we've already traveled and the things that we've been able to overcome. So if it's all right, I'd like to leave you guys with a few words from the song. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for a tree to drop. Here is a strange and bitter crop. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to encourage everyone to find a copy of Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit and give it a listen. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy... We'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.